This week, have you heard the one about the starfish? But first, I'm Quinn Emmett, and this is Important Not Important. It's science for people who give a shit. Hit subscribe right now to get this newsletter, this essay, whatever you want to call it, uh, and my conversations with the world's smartest people every single week. You can find the email version and links to everything at importantnotimportant.com or right in your show notes. Here's what I want to talk about today. Here's the question I want to ask you. Did you hear the one about the starfish? So let's take it back. I was listening to a conversation uh, that Chris Sacca was having the other day on a podcast. Uh, I love Capital Allocators. And uh, Chris is famous for having the best VC batting average since, you know, Ted Williams. And then suddenly retiring, only to unretire a few years later, just a few years ago, uh, to found lower carbon capital with his equally impressive wife, uh, Crystal English Sacco. So their goal is to invest in climate tech companies and buy us time to unfuck the planet. Their words, not mine, but you guys can see the appeal. So I've always appreciated Chris's candor and enthusiasm. Um, but when Ted asked how Chris and Crystal managed to balance work, unfucking the planet, and being around for their young kids, there was one line that really stuck out to me. And it was when Chris replied, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, the answer to why you tell your kids you can't hang out right now better be really fucking good. And that one really stuck with me. And let me tell you why, about what's going on with me right now. It stuck with me, well, because I'm thankful, proud, privileged to be a dad who's home for dinner and bedtime virtually every night. And it kills me when I cannot be, for whatever the reason. Now look, my kids didn't notice my occasional absences when they were toddlers, right? Toddlers barely know they have hands or have object permanence. And conversely, in a few years when they're teenagers, they'll probably give even less of a shit when I'm missing an action, right? If not entirely celebrating my absence, which I understand. But right now, when they're most aware and most desire my full attention, my time, to justify a late night at the office or whatever means I better be on the cusp of curing some goddamn disease. That's the bar I've set. Here's the problem. I'm not. But that is how important my time with them is to me and to them right now. But again, I'm definitely not curing a disease here. I'm talking to you on a podcast. Well, not directly, at least. But that's not how my brain works or how my biology grades went. It's also, again, it's not my job. My job is to talk to you with you. My job is to help all of you understand and unfuck our rapidly changing world together through context and action steps. I call it compound action, which is just a really kind of catchy way of saying we, I, stand on the shoulders of the millions of people who've done it before us, who've been doing it this whole time, and for everyone who's going to come after us. And that's the key part there. Because when I have to miss dinner or can't play catch or Barbies or play catch with Barbies, it's usually because I have to finish up writing or recording an essay like this one or tag into some policy call or something. And the kids are bummed. I can see it. 
but they also finally kind of understand what I do. So they'll gently roll their eyes and go back to their, you know, puffed sweet potatoes or whatever. They will, in all of their grace, forgive me, because it doesn't happen often. But here's the thing. Even though they're increasingly cognizant and proud of what I do and why I do it, and understanding more of the world around them and their place in it, some part of me still believes they're always going to remember me missing dinner, not why I missed it. Each time I have to pass on some crucial moment with them, it feels like I'm failing a test, that they're more aware of our limited time together than I am, which is probably impossible because not only are their brains not fully formed yet, but because I'm pretty much obsessed with how little time I really do have with them like this. But at the same time, as they grow, they're also getting a better idea of how goddamn lucky they are to have parents who can often both be home for dinner and bedtime and breakfast and games and recitals and just, you know, building forts in the woods. They're increasingly aware of what they have, and that's really important to us. And importantly, what other kids around them don't. Parents, uh, food, water, books, toys, time, health. That recognition in this moment is serendipitous for my work here because for all of the enormous progress we've made here and in the U.S. and across the world to improve childhood outcomes, literally even just making it out of childhood alive, we keep choosing to not do more if not to punish kids and families altogether, and especially here. And it's really pissing me off. So recently I told my kids I couldn't hang out at night because I'm actually helping other kids. So in the book, uh, The Expanding Circle, which I love, Peter Singer wrote, the proposal that we might risk lessening the happiness or prospects of our own children, to however slight a degree, in order to save strangers from starvation, strikes many people as not merely idealistic, but positively wrong. So, one, you probably know this, great news, I don't give a shit what other people think about me, or my parenting, my work, or how much profanity we use here. That's the deal. Two, yeah, my kids need me, just like they need their mom. Maybe less than they need their once-in-a-universe mom. They've each got their own strengths and struggles overall, right? But they're going to be okay. More than okay. Which leaves some room for altruism. Especially for other kids. Now, we're actually going to drastically expand our efforts here to research, define, cooperate, and activate behind a kid's specific platform, among everything else. So I'm not going to go into everything else today. Consider this a long primer. Altruism, doing the right thing, even and especially if you don't get anything out of it, probably started in our genes as a way to protect our kids, our family, and our community, and probably in that order. This genetic mandate and sequence is still a fundamental tenet, if not a practice, for most of us. It's care from the inside out. But it doesn't extend as far as we need it to. To understand the chasm between what we say and what we do. Just watch any NFL game, right? Funded in part by alcohol and the Defense Department. And then stroll your local TJ Maxx uh, for a broad assortment of family, faith, 
friends, flag, firearms, five things you don't mess with t-shirts worn by some uh, parent with kids who do hideaway drills in their classroom, you know, every couple months. So caveating, of course, that there are so many incredible selfless people who care for kids for very little pay, if any, in reality. Old white people are just terrified of an influx of brown kids flooding public schools and their parents taking meaningful jobs when those white people send their kids to private school and refuse to do those jobs anyways. They do love farmer's market peaches, though. They don't want to pick them, of course. People go to church quite a bit less than they used to, which is something as a basically pagan atheist religious studies major I have complicated feelings about. But either way, there's less structured community than there used to be. We're less aware of other people's kids and even further degrees of that. And again, I mean, kids are hanging out less. Adults are hanging out less. Parents are talking to their kids less. There's so many opportunities to mindlessly scroll Facebook on the toilet at home while literally driving your truck and not see the real-life kids who need help or that you might run over while they walk to public school, not because they want to, but because we don't pay bus drivers enough and immigration doesn't exist anymore, so there aren't enough bus drivers to even pay. Anyways, our lizard brains evolved into primate brains, later evolved into NPR brains, and then these scattershot social media brains and blue checks and shit like that, and here we are. Patriotism means very little in practice. We both under and overthink everything, right? Thinking fast and slow. We argue over how beneficial and tone-deaf effective altruism can be at the exact same time, which is kind of good. Travel nurses hold up our healthcare system, and GoFundMe pays for our funerals. And the worst billionaires in history build yachts and spaceships and college dorms instead of museums and national parks. But again, not everyone has given up on other people's kids, right? In 2023, Against Malaria is probably the most effective organization on the planet, protecting children you'll never meet with treated bed nets you'll never need for a disease that I would like to say you'll never encounter, but of course, now we've got malaria here again. I mean, look, George W. Bush, the war criminal, probably saved after years of pleading from advisors and other unlikely allies, including Bono, probably saved more lives through uh, PEPFAR than maybe anyone ever will. The UN, Millennium, and more recently, Sustainable Development Goals have, however, very unevenly, and even the measurement questions are in, are in play, uh, they've put big dents into childhood poverty, and hunger, and disease. These are people and, and organizations and massive efforts all saying, other people's kids deserve better. So sure, the world is filled with tragic but heartfelt stories of parents of kids with cancer fighting to make sure more kids don't get cancer, or we find cures or treatments, or at the very least, like my friends at Alex's Lemonade Stand, alleviate their costs for traveling for treatment or a clinical trial. Or the reverse, a small child watching their parents suffer from some form of progressive muscular muscle dystrophy, and quietly willing herself or himself into just the scientist who would find a cure. We had a whole conversation about that. But this is still the basic hardwired altruism we've all got buried inside, right? We have to do much, much more. We have to not only look outside our own homes, but around our neighborhoods to pay teachers more, 
expand education, to provide books, to provide community health clinics for vaccines, to plant tree cover, to build and operate more pools and free swim lessons, to expand SNAP and Medicaid and reduce the administrative burdens of both of those, to banish ultra-processed food and the ads behind them, and forever chemicals and lead pipes. Hey everyone, it's Quinn, your host and the founder of Important Not Important. I'd like to take a quick minute to tell you about the INI or any, whatever we're calling it these days, membership and community. It's a gathering place really for our most dedicated shit givers, a place to connect and learn from one another and to have access to me outside of the newsletter and this podcast. We started it last year and it's grown to hundreds of shit givers from all kinds from around the globe. I'm talking about teachers and investors, students, electricians, journalists, artists, scientists, and policymakers, and, and more. Members get exclusive access to our daily news homepage, which is very cool, and to much more top-of-mind weekly articles, research, and tools that you can use and to stay ahead of the game, member-sourced action steps, twice-monthly book and culture recommendations that have nothing to do with the end of the world, virtual events, and of course, the membership Slack channel. Look, so many people come to us asking, what can I do? And we think we do a pretty good job of answering that question and providing context for the answer. But the best answers and the best perspective really come from the community, a wide-ranging community. And we would love for you to be a part of it, to feel supported yourself, and to contribute to discussions and actions alike. And of course, by becoming a member, you're directly supporting our work here and ensuring that we get to keep doing it. So if you'd like to learn more, head to importantnotimportant.com. And if you're already a reader, you can just hit the upgrade button at the top. If you're not, go ahead and subscribe for free and you'll see the option to become a member at whatever level works best for you. And as always, you can always find the link to become a member right in your show notes. So thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for giving a shit. Back to the show. but also fight for mandatory parental leave and paid leave for salaried and hourly jobs. To not just let 70,000 childcare facilities close, leaving at least 3 million more kids without licensed, reputable care or any care. That's what's happening in the next few months. We, we have to start there. We have to move there as much as we can. But we can and have to go further beyond our state borders, beyond our national borders, to Africa and India and the continents and billions of young people poised to have families and to reshape everything about our global economies and societies in the coming decades, but whose children will, sure, they're going to grow up with GPS and Wi-Fi, but often still without refrigeration and with sea level rise. So look, there there's amazing news here. History is littered with examples of people doing exactly these things. Someone making or selling a vaccine for malaria probably isn't doing it for their own kids. Infant mortality didn't get cut in half over the last 50 years because one parent kept their toddler away from the fuse box or actually got them to wash their hands. Right? We didn't regulate clean water and 
clean air at, outside, at least, because our own kids weren't suffering from dirty versions. We know this because the people who actually voted for them were overwhelmingly not people who were exposed to dirty water and dirty air. But unfortunately, this progress is being challenged at every front. The days of Congresses coming together to do the right thing for kids and families are very, very few and, and far between now. I mean, look, the COVID money, right, the trillions that changed lives, however briefly, and the hundreds of billions we lost track of or were pilfered by bad actors, I, man, that might have been the last straw, the last time we say, yeah, let's change everything. We have to. But we still have to. Across the world, 4.3% of children die before they're 15 years old. That's 5.9 million kids a year. 16,000 kids on any given day. 11 kids a minute die before they're 15 years old. And again, this is both horrific and, stick with me here, incredible, because it used to be so much worse, broadly. And now, through the compound action, through the choices we've made, and going forward, we can continue to make it so much better in so many more places because we know so much more and what we're capable of. That's what makes it inexcusable. Children born in Somalia, where 14% die, could be like children born in the EU, where 99.55% survive childhood. You might think the U.S. is a great place to give birth or be born, and comparatively to, say, sub-Saharan Africa or Southern Asia, you'd be right. But compared to any other wealthy country, it's a nightmare here. But it simply doesn't have to be this way. Millions of people across the world have been working for decades to improve access and quality of nutrition, vaccines, sanitation, healthcare, midwives, housing, education, and now clean indoor air. The work is impossibly difficult and never-ending. But this is not rocket science. That's what's so frustrating and amazing about it. Because despite the heroic efforts of those who came before us and who continue this work today, having blown away past their own programmed altruism, we've got a very long way to go to reach Sustainable Development Goal 3.2, right? To reduce the childhood mortality rate to at least as low as 2.5% in all countries by 2030. Right now, 3.9% of kids worldwide die before they reach age 5. And to me, that is fucking unacceptable but the causes and inputs and outputs are so complex. Here's a quote for you. The fact that even the best-off countries struggled for millennia to keep children alive and improve the health of their children only in recent decades suggests that there is nothing that would prevent the same progress in those countries where children have the poorest health today. And that's from our friends at Our World and Data. It's true. We know more. We have the tools. There's no reason we're not doing it. During and after COVID, vitally important childhood vaccination programs across the world, including here, faltered. Russia's fucking war in Ukraine, continued energy poverty, and fossil-fueled global heating and floods threatens crops and farmland. Reversing any one of these or mitigating these is going to be wildly difficult. Look, again, I get it. I'm tired too. My work and kids are exhausting and expensive and wonderful. I'm donating a lot. You all are through us and otherwise. There's some hugely wasteful nonprofits and policy pork. Don't worry, we point you toward those too, but I can understand if you feel taken advantage of. 
what other beef do I have? I think the way some folks in effective altruism ignore problems closer to home sucks. But they still do good work. Kids matter everywhere. Full stop. On the one hand, kids continuing to suffer and die in Africa and Asia when other countries have leveled up with a pretty reliable playbook is fucking bullshit. On the other, any kids continuing to suffer and die in the richest countries is fucking inexcusable. It's a choice. We are simply choosing not to help them. Actively choosing. Against them. It makes me furious. But there's one little thing you'll notice. If you're around kids a lot, and mine are inescapable. Kids generally choose to help other kids. They generally choose to help, period. Sometimes you have to train them a little bit, or even bribe them, but... It's amazing how, at the very least, they hear about other kids suffering. You look down at their stainless steel bento lunchbox packed with hand-cut real food, and they think, what the fuck? That's fucked up. But somewhere along the way, and at some point when I guess the incentives become big enough, or the problems become too many in their lives, some adults stop caring about other people's kids. And here's when I'm going to come back to it. Have you heard the story about Susie with the starfish? I'll tell it to you now. So little Susie, she was six. Let's say she was six. Anyway, she's strolling down the beach, some nice East Coast beach, and she's got some distance from her parents, nice little dose of childhood independence, and it's low tide, so she's just casually picking up starfish that were left on the beach and tossing them, one by one, one by one, back into the waves. And along comes some middle-aged dickhead walking in the opposite direction of Susie. This guy sees Susie toss yet another starfish into the waves, and keep in mind, again, this is a choice he's making to use his time and energy for this without even introducing himself. Anyways, he says to Susie, you know, you can't save all of them. Well, Susie looks down and regards the starfish in her soft little six-year-old hand, looks back up at this asshole and says, yeah, but I can save this one. She tosses it into the sea as he stomps off to listen to the, whatever, the all-in podcast on his AirPods because despite his completely unprovoked lecture, Starfish and Susie are below his line of shit he could possibly care about. Understand this, though. I mean, Susie's sick. She has no genetic relation to that starfish. At least not recently. <laughs> For the past few billion years, she can't. She's a person. It's a starfish. Susie is throwing it back into the water where it has another chance to live because, simply, it does not have to die. Not if she has anything to say about it. Now, her world is simple. Her priorities are clear. Her power is enormous. Well, actually, you say, not enormous. The resources available to Susie are limited. We're all so limited. Susie doesn't have a donor-advised fund. She doesn't have an employer to match her new monthly donation to the Ocean Conservancy. She isn't even using her hard-earned allowance to save this starfish because it's cash in a drawer at home. Right? I'll tell you this, though. Susie is spending something far more valuable. Her time, her energy. And I think Singer would be a fan here. He said, My contribution cannot end a famine but it can save the lives of several people who might otherwise starve. Isn't that enough? 
I mean, look, again, I get it. It's a lot to ask. You've got a lot going on. There's another election coming in Virginia. It's in like weeks. And then federally next year, we'll talk about those races as we get closer. And I'll indicate very clearly where I feel like we can make some measurable difference, right? It matters to have the right people there who will vote for the right things, who have different perspectives. But kids need help today, tonight. It's probably the most important ask every day. It compounds over time among all the meaningful opportunities to bend the needle across all the interwoven systems of air and water, food and healthcare, education and poverty, helping children everywhere now, and often that means indirectly by helping their parents or their guardians, simply provides the best bang for our buck long term. All right, if all that didn't persuade you, let me be honest here for a minute. If you're reading this, whether you're a new or a long-time listener, there's very little chance you're thinking, okay, but I'm selfish. But maybe there's some tiny part of you that can't possibly look behind, beyond uh, your own kids, your grandkids, your nephews, your nieces, or students, whatever reason. Here's the thing. I can relate to that. I want to tell you one more personal story here. But first, one last antidote from Singer, this time about intimate relationships, because it matters here. Set up the story. He said, whether we're talking about relationships within or even among different communities, people who are altruistically motivated will make more reliable partners than those motivated by self-interest. After all, one day the calculations of self-interest may turn out differently. Now I want to tell you my story. We've all suffered and lost so much these past few years, but briefly, Throughout a lifetime of enormous privilege, I have seen my fair share of shit. I have I had crippling childhood asthma, so I identify with kids who can't breathe. I lost one of my best friends to cancer at age 30, and another to drugs and suicide. A few years later, I've lost a precious uncle and a cousin to ALS. I mean, you get it. We've all been there. I've watched grandparents um, suffer through Alzheimer's. I've spent time with kids with cancer who then weren't there the next week. You get it. We all have our versions of it. Every one of those stuck with me. One, because I'm not a monster. But not just in the way you'd think. Here's one of my secrets. I have absolutely donated to organizations that support people who suffer from these exact issues, all while quietly calculating that someday, maybe, my meager contributions might make those organizations more capable should my loved ones ever need them. There you go. On the one hand, I rationalize these donations as some version of future-proofing, right? It's like building a doomsday bunker. But the bunker has co-benefits, like providing funding for pediatric cancer research for other kids until I need it. On the other, it's definitely not selfless. It's selfish. It's a version of it. I own that. But here's the thing, again, if you really need it. Aren't the organizations benefiting either way? Aren't other kids and people benefiting either way? It's complicated. We're going to talk a lot more around here about how to improve the lives of kids. So before I finish, take a moment and stop thinking about other people's kids in this country and other countries and come all the way back to the ones closest to you in your life. The ones who fit so neatly into what Singer calls kin altruism. The ones you would do anything for. You'd go without food to feed these kids. Give them the only water 
when they're thirsty, work a second job or a third, volunteer in their classroom, lock and stand guard at the door of that classroom when there's someone in the hallway who wants to hurt them. No questions asked. Your kids or charges or students may or may not know what resources you have. I mean, sometimes it's clear. You may flaunt them if you have them. Or they may only be aware because sometimes they have less food to eat than they want or need. Sometimes the power is cut off, even for just a day. Doesn't mean you wouldn't do anything for them. But I truly believe that once you do everything you can for them, intentionally towing the line of what they need versus what they want, encouraging them to learn to read, to learn history and ethics and math and science and civics, humanities, as you cultivate a household ethos of empathy and care, once you do all of that, as you do all of that, I'd be willing to bet that if you ask them whether it's fair that other kids don't have books or food or power or water or a roof, or whether other kids should find it difficult to breathe, they'd reply that, no, Dad, no, Mom, it's not fucking fair. But know this, and this is a real important takeaway, once you ask them, they're going to know what you know, too. They're going to know that you know it, too. And then, because they're kids, and they will hold you to every little thing you've ever said out loud, you're going to have to do something about it. And that might mean missing dinner once in a while. Here's your relevant weekly action steps. Number one, donate to tobacco-free kids to help fight against flavored e-cigarettes. Number two, volunteer with mothers out front and come together to fight against climate injustice and for our children's future. Number three, get educated about how to electrify your child's school, making it cleaner, healthier, and climate-safe with our resources from Rewiring America. Number four, be heard about protecting children from pesticides and urge your representative to support the Protect America's Children from Toxic Pesticides Act, which really just seems like common sense. And last, invest in a better world for kids and make sure your philanthropic dollars make a measurable difference with impact assets. So that's it for this week. If you've got feedback, questions, opinions, I would love to hear them. You can email them to us at questions at importantnotimportant.com. Hit subscribe, please, to get next week's issue straight into your feed. To go deeper, visit importantnotimportant.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for giving a shit.